be good. So day one, he's upstairs working, and guess what happens? Fight breaks out. There's hollered, and you know, something gets knocked over, and you know, he thinks, okay, I'm not going down there. I'm just going to holler some things down there, and you know, we're going to get this straightened out. I'm going to keep on working. And so you know, Dad, Dad hollers down there of this, this great plan, and he, he says, hey, boys, you guys, y'all got to figure it out. And so it calms down for a little bit, but a few more minutes pass, and fight breaks out again. And dad thinks, okay, that didn't work. I got, to come, I got a better phrase. And so he, boys, you, you guys need to learn to share. Now, you can almost see the boys thinking, dad, if we knew how to share, there wouldn't be a fight going on. So fight kind of, things calm down, and eventually it, it kind of breaks out again. They keep fighting. And, uh, and then eventually the dad does what every parent has done, probably once or twice in our lives. He, he, that, that great parental message, if I have to come down there, there's going to be trouble. You won't like it if I have to come down there. And it doesn't work. They keep fighting. So eventually the dad realizes the only way that peace is going to come to my family is I'm going to have to leave upstairs and go downstairs. Now, friends, can I just tell you something? If I can tell that you get it, I, I don't have to talk as long. That's, that's the story of Christmas. God, he, he, he came down to bring peace to his children. This God who was upstairs came down to bring, to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring joy, to, 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 to say, I, I love you. And I hope you're as glad as I am that God came downstairs. He took on the form of, uh, of us so that we could respond to him. So here's, here's the question. Are you willing to respond? See, the, the response of the wise men was they left where they were to go to where he was when he came down. And we're going to have to respond in, a, in like manner if we want to experience the the fullness of God. I don't know exactly where you're at right now. I know you're saying, Joe, I'm right here in the room. It's not what I'm talking about. I don't know spiritually, emotionally. Some of you might be in a dark place right now. Some of you might be in a place, and God has prepared a better place. He has a better place for you. Some of you, maybe you're here today, and you're struggling with some kind of addictive behavior. And, and God says, why don't you leave where you're at and come to a place of freedom that I've prepared for you? Some of you, maybe you're here today and you're in a place of great discouragement. And you need to leave that place of discouragement and come to a place of joy that God has made for, for you. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're in a place of anxiety or even despair. And you need to leave that place and come to the place of hope in Jesus that God has prepared for you. Maybe you still live in a place of shame and guilt. Satan loves to keep you there. And maybe what you need to do is leave that place of shame and come to the place of grace that God has for you today. 
That may be what you, the, the move that you need to make. You, you just need to, 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 to make that move. You know, Satan keeps wanting to tell you you're, you're just a failure. You should live in shame. But Jesus Christ made the first move. He, he made this move. And so the question is, are you willing to leave those places and come to where Jesus is? To see him for, for who he is, to experience the love that, that he has for you. Because if you are, all you need to do is start by saying, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I, I come to you. I'm leaving my mess, and I'm coming to your beauty. I'm coming to your glory. I'm coming to your love. I'm responding, Jesus, by leaving where I am to come to where you are. That's the first response that we see with these wise men. A second response is this. I rightly respond to God's love when I humble myself and worship him. When I humble myself and worship Jesus. Okay, participation time again. I want you to say the word worship out loud. Say it with me. Worship. Okay, some of you are not participating. If you are sitting by a non-participating person, this time when, when we participate, if they don't, I want you to raise your hand and just point to them. Okay, here we go. I want you to say the word worship with me out loud worship okay that was a little bit better well, I see a pointer back there the uh <laughs> we we're called to come and and worship the wise men humble themselves and they they worship look at verses 10 and 11 of matthew 2 it says when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house they saw the child with mary his mother and they fell down and they worshiped him and then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Bible says when they came into the presence of Jesus, they bowed down. They, they, they fell down. They're teaching us something about how to respond to the love of God when we, when we come into its presence. And one of those steps is to, to worship, but you've got to do it humbly. You've got to humble yourself. And, and so, though they were wise men, they came knowing they didn't know it all. Though they normally hung out in circles of influence and, and greatness, they, they came into the presence of this one and realized they're in a presence of something much greater than themselves, so they bow down. And God's word said they worshiped. And that word worship has kind of for us the word adore. Just being connected to a, adoring him. And, and it tells us that part of the response of adoring him, of worshiping him, was opening their treasure, opening their hearts to God. And they opened their hearts and presented their treasures. And there's, there's a great connect there for you and me. This idea of when we worship, our hearts should open to God. Those things that we hold back should, should open to God when we truly worship and that we would make them an offering of those things. The first thing that it said that they offered him was gold. And gold in that day was a, a gift for a king. And so when they, when they gave this gift of gold, what they were saying is, we recognize that you're a king, we, we recognize that you're, 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 you're different. You're, you're a king. We, we've come to honor you. 
Now, here's what, here's what I just, just kind of see in this. Is, you know, when, it, when they got there, the Bible says that Mary was there and Jesus was there. It didn't tell us where Joseph was. You know, maybe, maybe he had made a diaper run. I don't know, you know. But Joseph wasn't in the picture right then. They show up and it's just, it's Mary and Jesus. And now remember, don't forget this. Though he was an earthly father, he had not provided any DNA for this child. He hadn't. The Bible tells us that Mary gave birth as a virgin. It tells us in the Gospel of Luke that the Holy Spirit came upon her and the Spirit of the Most High God overshadowed her. And she was miraculously with child. And so when they come in and they see this king... They realize there's something different about this king. He's fully God and he's fully man. And so when you, when you watch what the, the, the wise men did, understand that they had a clarity of who he was. And they, they're, they're showing us that when we come to worship, we need to clearly see Jesus for who God says he is. See, they, they saw Jesus there with his mama. And so they knew that Jesus, you know, there was the mama side. And, and they, they see this, this Jesus, you know, this little bitty baby. But they also come to understand that on his father's side, his true father's side, this was God with us. You know, just on his mother's side, there's this baby kind of wrapped in swaddling clothes. But on his true father's side... He's wrapped in the glory of the Lord. On, on his mother's side, there's, there's this baby, maybe, maybe still in a manger, maybe in, in something a, a little more elaborate than that. But when they, when they see his mother's side, they look at his real father's side, I think maybe they realize that this is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the great I am. This is who they have come to worship. And so you got to see the king for who he really is. And worship helps us do that. It helps us appropriately see God for who he is as king and, and experience the kind of love that only that king can bring. So here's the big question. Can you see him as king? That kind of king? Or is that vision of God blocked by your problems that you're facing. So when you show up to church, you come here wanting to see the king, but because all you see are your problems, you miss the beauty and glory of God in Jesus. You've got to be truthful with yourself here for a minute. Is, is, is that you? Now, now, I know that you're carrying burdens. Uh, everyone here is carrying some burdens. Some people are carrying Huge financial burdens, huge, huge financial debt. Maybe, maybe here in the house or online, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're carrying huge financial debt from last Christmas still, I don't know. But you, you, you've got heavy, heavy burdens. You, you, things that, you know, you just struggle with. Fears that you struggle with, you know. Some of you are afraid because your, your mother-in-law is coming over for Christmas. And, you know, there's just these, these things that you struggle with. 
But here's why worship is so important. Because the only way that your God is going to get bigger than your problems is when your perspective changes. The psalmist David writes in Psalm uh, 34, he writes these words, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Now that word magnify literally means to make bigger. Now you and I can't make God bigger in reality, but we can make him bigger in our thought life. And when we magnify the Lord, when we make him bigger, you know what happens to our problems? They become smaller. They they begin to shrink. See, oh magnify the Lord with me. Make him bigger so your problems become smaller. We, we need to magnify the Lord. We need to exalt his name so that our vision of him gets, gets expanded. And we need to do that together. Uh, worship in community is so important. Something unique happens when we do that. And when we do worship that way, our God gets bigger than the problems we face in life. Now, I know some of you may be thinking... Joe, you don't know how bad what I'm going through really is. Joe, you just, you don't get it. You don't have a, an appreciation pro- for my problems. And I just want to hear you say, hear me say, as best I know, I, I think I do get it. I, I think I, I, I can get it. But see, we're not here to maximize your problems. We're here to maximize your God so that he can minimize your problems. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And for some, that's the only way your perspective will ever get changed, will get transformed is as you magnify the Lord. But if, if all you can see is how plagued you are by your problems, you're going to get stuck. You need to see the God of glory. You need to see the truth that he says for you out of his love for you. He's going to fight for you. He's going to fight against those problems for you, but you'll never see that if, if your problems eclipse your, your king, you'll never see it that way. And here's what will happen. You'll get stuck in the, on the merry-go-round of complaining. Complaining, complaining, complaining. Friends, when you get on that merry-go-round, there's a spirit that gets attached to that that is not Holy. And you keep throwing yourself a pity party and you get mad because nobody wants to show up for that party. Now, some of you may be thinking, Joe, isn't this church? Friends, this is a place where you can come and tell the truth about your struggles. But if you enter into this merry-go-round of complaining all the time, it will destroy your soul. And what you and I need is a different perspective. We need to see like Isaiah did. We need to see the Lord high and lifted up. We need to see the glory of the Lord filling everything. We need to, uh, to have that kind of vision. And, and when we do, like the, like the wise men in this account of worship, it'll open your heart. And you'll just kind of start pouring out your treasure. They brought him gold. Fit for a king. And then they gave the gift of frankincense. 
Now, some of you know this, some of you may not, but frankincense was an ingredient that was used by the priest in the temple to mix together a special incense. If you go back to later today to Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 38, if you go back to those verses, you will see that God commanded that the priest of the temple uh, literally make an incense that would burn in the, well, it's for the tabernacle to start within the temple, that would create this special aroma. And God said, do not use it at your house. The only house it's supposed to be used in is my house. And one of the key ingredients was frankincense. And it was, it was costly and it was hard to come by. And so when they give this gift of frankincense, this was a gift literally for a priest. And so I see them giving this, this gift of frankincense declaring, we see you as a priest. And in that day, a priest was one who would go between uh, God and mankind. Priests would seek to try to live very holy lives because they knew that they, were, they would bring people's sins into the presence of God for, for forgiveness. And so they would try to, they, they saw themselves as this bridge that they would give themselves this way. And so when they come and they bring frankincense, they're saying, we see you as priest. The writer of Hebrews would come later and describe Jesus as the high priest. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, our belief, our, our, what, what, what we hold to, our foundation. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's the one that can come. And he's saying we, we can come to him. And when we come to him uh, as priest, we come to Jesus as our great high priest. We come with this confession, this belief this, that's firmly planted in us that we can bring our sin. We can bring all of our failures. And watch what it says. We can do it boldly. We, we, we should do it with, with boldness in our step. Now, you know, there's this picture here, you know, and, and w- that we come and we bring our sin and our failure. Anybody other than me got some failures? You know, some sin? I, I, I got them. The Bible says when we, when we come to, to bring those to Jesus, our great high priest in confession, that we should come boldly. But here's what, here's what the way most of us come, you know, and this ain't both of Jesus, I'm... I'm so sorry, here's my failure, here's my sin. There's nothing bold about that. The scripture says you approach the great high priest with boldness, bringing your sins and failures so that you can receive grace in time of need. It's almost like what you gotta do is you gotta bring your failure. You almost gotta, it sounds weird, but you gotta be excited. I got some failures, man. I get to bring them to Jesus, and he's going to do that swap, and he's going to take my failures from me, and he's going to give me his grace. And we need to do that boldly, it says, to come to the throne of grace with with boldness. Lift up your head, he says. Don't, Don't cower down. Come excited, not because you're so good, but because he is. And in his goodness, in his great love for you, he's made a way to wipe out your sins. For you not to live in shame. You come worshiping him. 
Because he's king. You come worshiping him knowing that he's priest. The third gift that they brought as opening their hearts, their treasure to him, they brought... They, brought, they gave this gift of myrrh. Now, the Bible doesn't say that they didn't have other treasures. Remember, they traveled a long ways. They, they didn't have a debit card that they could pull out. You know, they, they literally had to bring all their treasure with them. And they may have had other things, but for some reason, they gave these three things. And this third gift, the gift of myrrh, in that day was used primarily as embalming fluid. Now, just a word of advice. The next time you go to a baby shower, I would discourage bringing embalming fluid. I would just say, probably not the best baby gift. But they, they, gave, they gave this myrrh. And I don't know if they knew why. I think maybe their worship in that moment was just became prophetic. And God instilled in them, give this gift. Maybe they did know. Maybe, they, maybe God had revealed it to them supernaturally that this one was not only a king, he was not only a priest, but he was going to be the savior of the world. Maybe Mary had told them a little bit about her experience, and so they, they poured out this gift and so when we come to worship, we need to worship him as king. We need to worship him as priest, but we also need to, to worship him as, as savior. He's bigger than our sin. He's bigger than our problems. We can come to him as king who's bigger than our problems. We can come to him as priest because we need grace and we can get it boldly, just coming boldly. And we can come to him as savior. So here's, here's what we need to do. If we really want to experience the fullness of God's love, we need to respond in ways that allow us to do that. We've got to leave where we are and go to where he is. We've got to humble ourselves and, and worship him. And then the last thing that not so much we have to try to figure out how to do, it'll just happen, really, if we do the first two well. And it's this. We rightly respond to God's love when we leave a different way. When we leave a different way. See, the wise men, when they had arrived, they go to Herod's house. It was the palace in Jerusalem. And they say, hey, man, we, we saw this star, and we know it, it means that, that you know, there's a message attached to this star, and it means there's uh, a new king was, has been born. And we want to, where is he? We want to worship him. Now, some things you need to know about Herod. He was, he was king of the Jews, but he was a puppet king of the Roman Empire. And he knew that he constantly had to watch his back. And so this guy grew extremely paranoid. He constantly lived with malicious intent. And he was just, he was driven by one thought. I have to preserve my kingdom at any cost. And it literally cost many of his family members their lives. Because that's, he, he was that ruthless. He doesn't care who he kills. He doesn't care who he has to manipulate. He wants his kingdom to stand. So when you're that insecure as, as Herod was, and you want to protect your kingdom, when you hear there's a, a new king in town, it's going to upset you. You're going to take it as a, as a great threat. See, Jesus was a threat to Herod's kingdom. Now, before we all rush to judgment about, about this, this Herod and his kingdom, I would also argue this, that Jesus is a threat 
to your kingdom. He's a threat to, to my kingdom. Some of us work so hard to preserve our, our kingdoms, our ways of doing things, our, our comforts, you know, the, the, the things we like, the way we like it, our preferences. We, we, we construct our kingdom, our desires, and we get comfortable in our kingdom, and we will do almost anything it takes to preserve our kingdom. And then Jesus comes along and says, follow me into my kingdom, but that's a threat to your kingdom. Why? Because in order for you to follow Jesus into his kingdom, you got to get off the throne of yours. you got to be willing to surrender your kingdom under his kingdom authority. you got to get off the throne and let him sit there. And that is so hard for us to do. Jesus has come to interrupt your kingdom. It's a threat. He's a threat to your kingdom. Now, Herod, Herod tells the wise men, go, find this newborn king. And when you do, come back and tell me where he is so that I might, I might, I might worship, kill him too. That's, I mean, that's really kind of what he did. He's saying, I, I want to worship, but what he was saying, worship, worship to Herod was to kill him because Herod only worshiped his kingdom. That's all he, he had time to worship, preserve his own kingdom. So here's what happens. When, when he sends the wise men out, Herod sends them out as his ambassadors. They're now under the authority of this crazy king. He sends them out as his ambassadors to go find this child. So they're under this king's authority now. But something so significant happens when they come into Jesus' presence. They realize they cannot be under the authority of any other kingdom in this world if they're going to come into the kingdom of God. So the Bible tells us that God in a dream spoke to them and said, don't go back to Herod. You're not his ambassadors any longer. Come into my kingdom. And the Bible says they went home a different way. Friends, when you, when you rightly respond to the love of God, every time you do it, you will always leave and go a different way than the way you came. Things will be different. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12 said, God warned the wise men in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they returned to their own country by a different way. That's one of the great messages of Christmas. It's when, when you come into the presence of the king of kings, even as a little child, you will always go away different. You will always go a different way. They showed up on the, uh, under the authority of one kingdom. They left under the authority of the kingdom of God. They left obeying God. See, when you really come to Jesus, when you really see him as God, God come at Christmas, God in the flesh, you willingly you desire to walk in the authority of the kingdom of God. You'll walk out from under your kingdom, bring your kingdom to him, and walk in the kingdom of God. 
about 30 years after Jesus came and was born in a manger, the gospel writer Mark records one of the first messages that ever Jesus ever preached. It was really, really short. Some of you were saying, Joe, why don't you take a lesson from Jesus? In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus begins preaching, and the Bible records this as his message. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means take your kingdom, your little kingdom, and put it under the authority of a new king. And that really is so much of what Christmas is all about. Will I relinquish my kingdom and bring it under his authority? Friends, God loves you. He has poured out his love at Christmas through Jesus so that you might know how much the God of all creation loves you. But how are you responding? Are you willing to leave where you're at to go to where he is? Are you willing to to humble yourselves and worship this king, this priest, this savior? Because if you do, you'll leave changed. And maybe, just maybe, you'll get to celebrate Jesus this Christmas in a way you've never done before. It'll be counter to the culture of me first. And we'll get to see something beautiful happen in our lives. See, Jesus coming at Christmas was the the greatest gift and the greatest miracle of all. The miracle of God's love come to earth. God coming in the flesh. And we want to celebrate and we want to worship that great miracle of love through his son Jesus. Pray with me if you would. Lord, we come now. We come giving thanks. We come recognizing that you are not just a king, but you're the king of kings. That you're the Lord God Almighty that you left heaven to come to earth to demonstrate your great love for us, to live among us, and then to die. You came as this great king, and you, you lived as this great priest, and then you died as this great savior. So we might be set free. And so we come to receive your love. We want to respond to that love, God. We want to respond to your great love, Jesus. And we are grateful that as we do, as we we come and we worship, as we humble ourselves, that we get to experience the power of your love in new ways. So we come this day bringing our little kingdoms, God. Taking what authority we think we have in our kingdom, and we surrender it to your authority, Jesus. And we come to worship you, and we come to give thanks, and we come to celebrate the miracle of your love for us, your people. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us first so that we could respond by loving you. So we come now. Maybe you come for the first time today and you just need to say to Jesus, 
I'm coming to you. I'm coming to where you are. The Bible says that anybody who calls on the name of Jesus as, as king, surrendering their kingdom, calling on him as savior, you, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life because God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that if you would believe, believe that he is who he says he is, believe that he did what he did on Calvary's cross, declaring how much he loved you, if you would believe, you'd inherit eternal life. Most of us here today just need to respond again to the authority that God has over us. We need to willingly surrender our kingdoms to his so that we get to experience the great love of God this Christmas. We come, Lord, to worship you, to thank you for your love in all its miraculous forms. It's in Jesus' name we pray.